It says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. God, centuries earlier, had said, I'm going to send a Savior, and people had to wait and wait and wait and wait. And waiting is the worst. None of us like to wait. When I was a child, we never had presents under the tree until they just miraculously appeared on Christmas morning. And I later found out it's because we as children would poke holes in everything and open the presents up. My wife has a lot more trust in my children than my mother did in me because she puts out all the presents. And I don't know what's worse. Looking at the tree and there being no presents for me under there which is true. <laughs> the other thing is worse is seeing all these presents that you can't touch. And we, Caden, my son, probably the worst. He'll shake them ever so slightly, just enough to loosen the paper. And then he knows. Waiting is the worst. And in the Nelson family, we have this little tradition we started a few years ago that we, in, in the January school holidays, go to Adventure World. And if you've ever been to Adventure World, it's a, it's a lot of fun and it's a great place to make memories. One of the rides is a ride called the Kraken. And the Kraken is a water ride. You sit on a raft and you go down in this dark tube and you go around. It feels like you go upside down and you come out of this big drop at the end. It's a fun ride and it's at the top of the hill. And if you know that area, you know there's a long hill you have to walk up. Every single person does this. You walk up this long hill and you're tired and you, you get to the top and you're a little bit out of breath, but you got to act like you're not out of breath when you get to the top. And you come around a corner and as you come around the corner, you can't see the ride. You can't see the ride. You can't see the ride. And you turn and then you go and it happens again and again. People's face go, oh, because the line is forever long and you stand out there and you know you're going to be stuck next to your family for an hour so if you want to be stuck next to your children go to adventure world and wait in line because you're forced to stand next to them for at least an hour at a time and you get to talk talk with them and force them to speak to you and it's bad when you're experiencing it and then when you're in line you watch the other people come up and they're all doing the same thing they walk up there and they go oh get in line Waiting is the worst. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, that verse again says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. The children and the nation of Israel had been waiting for generation after generation after generation. And sometimes when we begin to wait, we go, Well, I guess it's not going to happen. I guess God isn't going to send His Messiah. I guess He didn't mean it after all. We hate to wait, but I want you to think about in your life, what is it that you are waiting for God for? What is it that you would say, I've been praying for this for years and years and years. I've been working on this for years and years and years. And you're saying, I hate the wait. 
The principle for today is this. And every Sunday we have a principle we seek to apply to our life. And it is this. God is working while I am waiting. God is actively at work in the world around us. And there's probably things in your life that have come to your mind as I say that. What are you waiting for? That you think to yourself, I've been praying about this for weeks months, years, decades, and I'm waiting for God to provide. Whether it's health-related, whether it's a spiritual-related, or it's relational, whether you're praying for children, or you're praying for someone's life to be changed. Maybe you've been praying, and God, provide me with a house, provide me with a job. Even praying for these things, and you hate the wait. God is working while I am waiting. And through this season, we've been challenging through this series of the wonder of Christmas is to commit to wonder. And if we don't make a commitment to see the scriptures fresh and new, we'll find ourselves just going through the motions of another year. We'll find ourselves through the next year, which is 2022, which is really weird to say. 2022, and we'll look back on this in 12 months' time and go, well, that year was just another year when I was waiting. Let's commit to wonder. Wonder in the hope that we find in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Mankind have been waiting for the Messiah. We believe and teach in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We are looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. In this time period, 2,000 years ago, they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And they had been waiting and waiting and waiting. But how long had they been waiting? If you take a biblical account and you do the, the numbers on when Adam and Eve were, were created... The world's probably around 6,000 years old. So 4,000 years before in the B.C. is the time when Adam and Eve were on earth. And you look at that time and even in Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 15, it says, and it makes a prophecy that there's going to be a Redeemer coming. There's going to be a Savior coming. And they've been looking forward to it for 4,000 years at this time. And if you fast forward to around 700 B.C., which is 3,300 years after Adam and Eve. So they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. We have the prophet Isaiah, and he comes along, and God gives him a prophecy, a number of different prophecies. He prophesies the fact that Jesus is going to be born of a virgin. He prophesies that Jesus is going to be born, and he's going to ultimately die a cruel death on a cross. And it says in Isaiah chapter number 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. They have been waiting and waiting and waiting. If you have your Bible in front of you, you look at the end of the Old Testament, there is a book of the Bible called Malachi. And if you look at the book of Malachi, was the end of the Old Testament. And then in your Bible, you probably have a couple little blank pages in there or one sheet of paper. And then you have the New Testament. In that time period... We understand there's 400 years of what's referred to as silence. 
400 years, uh, God had not sent a prophet. They had the scriptures. They had the promises. They had everything that we find in the Bible today in the, in the scriptures. They had those prophecies, but they had no active reminder of there's new prophecy. There's another prophet in Israel today for 400 years of waiting. You think waiting in line for one hour at Adventure World is a long time. Generation after generation after generation, they were waiting. But God wasn't just sitting back and doing nothing. Remember the principle for today? God is working while I am waiting. God is always at work in the world around us. If you can understand that principle, that God is actively in the work in the world around us, it changes the way that we look at our present circumstances and allows us to see the world and our circumstances with hope rather than with despair. I'm going to give you a little history lesson. What was taking place during these 400 years of silence from God? Looking back in the, in the third century BC, you have a man that came along that conquered the world in a relatively short period of time, a man named Alexander. And when Alexander comes along and he conquers the world, they call him the Great. And Alexander the Great was a Greek and he conquered the world through his, his exploits. That opened up the world to have a, a language, a common language, which became the Greek language. And as a result of that, around the 3rd century B.C., the Old Testament was translated into the Greek language. And now, people that would not have had the ability to read the Scriptures now had the ability to understand and read the Scriptures. Going on from that, God was working. And there was a different way of thinking during that time. And, and things began to change in the mentality rather than someone standing up and just sharing the truth in a dry way. Something changed during that period of time in the Greek way of looking at life and the way of looking at it. was a way called the Socratic method of teaching. And the Socratic method of teaching, if you know the word Socratic, is from a guy named Socrates. And it changed the way that the lectures would, would take place, where now the student had the ability to ask questions. Now that may seem really common to you in school. I, I can ask questions at any time. At this period of time, it was new and revolutionary. I guess somebody had to make it up in a sense. And now you had a teacher and a student being able to ask questions back and forth. And they opened up the way that they would view education. Alexander the Great has conquered the world. The Greek language has come in and become common. The Old Testament has been translated into Greek. And we have people that are invited to ask questions in their teaching. And then along comes the Roman Empire. And it conquers the Greek empire and with that you've heard the things referred to as the roman roads and th through that time the roads that the romans built are still in use today in fact you can see them i think it's quite amazing something two thousand years and i kind of whenever i think of that i think of the fact that they have to constantly resurface the bustle highway so now although you still have to walk a lot 
the world has opened up for these people. Now you have seemingly free and easy access across the world. And the fifth thing that was taking place is a thing that's referred to as the diaspora, which literally means the dispersion. And what the Roman Empire did is they took the Jewish people along with other nationalities and they dispersed them across the known world. Encyclopedia Britannica estimates at this period of time in the first century uh, A.D. that there were five million Jewish people dispersed across the world. There was more Jewish people dispersed across the world than there were living in Israel at that time. These five things were taking place during a period of time known as the silence. When God was seemingly silent because he had not sent a prophet to Israel in 400 years. But God was actively at work. What we see here is while the Jews were waiting, God was working. Let me say that one more time. While the Jews were waiting, God was working. We see with a common language and an ease of travel during this period of time. We see the scriptures were able to be read and understood. People were able to and invited to ask questions. And then the Jewish people, like missionaries being sent out in preparation, were sent out across the world. And that's why you read in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul and others would go into these Roman colonies and they would visit the synagogue. Is because during that time, the Jewish people were dispersed. And that's how many of the, the, the first century churches were started that we read about in the New Testament. They were started as a result of that dispersion because they started first in the Jewish synagogues. All of this took place during a time of silence. In the book of Galatians, chapter number 4, verses 4 and 5. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there and see this for yourself. The scripture says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's two things that are on the screen that are underlined. First of all is the fullness of time. With the fullness of time, that's the understanding of much like a pregnancy, it's at the right time. When the child is ready to come and everything works out healthy in the, in the pregnancy, the child comes at the right time. You do not want that child to come early. And you certainly don't want it to come late. You don't want a 24-month child in there. You want it to come right at the right time when they're healthy and they're not too big. It's well said, God is never early and never late. God is always on time. And that's what it means by that fullness of time. At exactly the right time, God sent forth His Son. To redeem us. The next part that we have there is underlined is receive adoption. I love talking about the, the word adoption in the scriptures because the understanding of adoption in, in, in this particular period of time when the Apostle Paul was writing Galatians was something more than just adding another family member to your family. There's a child that needs a family, come join my family, which is wonderful, but it had actually a lot 
more depth to it than that. The understanding with adoption had to, to do with your birthright, your inheritance, your status within the family. And many of the family would have many children. And of course, as a firstborn, which I'm a firstborn, you get the number one inheritance. So therefore, as the number one, you're the head of the family, you get the number one and the majority of the inheritance. And then progressively, as you go down, you get less and less and less. So therefore, if you're number 14 in line, the likelihood of you being the head of the family is very low because of a lot of other people ahead of you. Your inheritance is comparatively far smaller percentage-wise than the number one. And then if they bring on an adopted child, you would think naturally, oh, the adopted child is number 15 at the end of the line. And that's where the biblical adoption changes. And that's where this adoption becomes so beautiful. You see, we love our children, but we didn't choose them. They just came. And thank God for them, but we didn't choose them. But with adoption, you are chosen to become part of the family. That's a beautiful picture there because as a, an adopted child, no longer are you number 15 in line and just join the end of the line. Aren't you lucky just to get in? You become a number one in the rankings. And that, be, that changes our whole view of our salvation. So thank God when we're saved, I'd be happy just to get in. I'm happy just to receive my salvation, happy for my eternal life and presence in God. But the way he sees us is that we are number one in inheritance. That is a beautiful picture of God's love for us in the right place, at the right time, at the fullness of time. God did everything in his strength and his power and his ability because he's God to redeem us. So therefore, we have a full birthright adoption. All of that took place at the right time, at the right place. Remember we started with, I hate waiting. Waiting is the worst. You may feel like you're in a 400 years of silence. You may feel like you're in a position right now where you've been praying for something, and God, if you're really there, sort of prayers start coming out. Because you begin to question God's love. You begin to question God's ability. And your hope becomes, maybe I shouldn't put all my hope in God because I need to take some of that back for myself. There's three questions I have for you. Is God still working today? I want you to mull that over in your mind. Is God still working today? Now, you're in church, so typically the right answer is, yes, God's still working today. But inside, you may be going, but I don't really feel it. I feel like I'm in the time of silence right now. God, where are you? Is God still working today? The second question is this. What are you waiting on today? It may be something really short term. You may be praying for a house and God, will you please give us a house? We have a rental time and the rental agreements do. I don't know where we're going to live in a month's time. 
And you may be saying, what are you waiting on today? Maybe it's education. You're waiting for that letter to come for your, for your education in the, this next year. You're waiting on a job prospect. You're waiting on a relationship. And you've been praying for years about a relationship. And, and God, will you please give me a relationship? And maybe you've been praying, God, will you bless us with children? And it just doesn't come year after year after year. Maybe it's health related. God, will you please heal us? Or maybe even better that you've been praying for a family member to come to know the Lord as a Savior. To, for God to redeem them the way that only God can do. And you've been praying for that year after year after year. What are you waiting on today? The third question is, what is God working on in your life? Just like that 400 years of seemingly silence, God, in His way, was preparing the world to receive the Savior so the message of the gospel could go out across the world. The phrase, and I want you to add this to your little phrase vocabulary, if I may. It's a very simple little phrase. Don't waste the wait. Don't waste the times that you are seemingly in silence waiting for God to provide and waste those years because God is always at work in the world around us. Don't waste the wait. And I want to put that in your mind and say it a few times because maybe even challenge each other over lunch today. What was that phrase? The phrase was, don't waste the wait. And the thought behind that is when you have this next week and this next year, the natural tendency to go, I need to take this back. I need to start worrying about this. I need to start handling this on my own. Let's not waste the wait. Imagine how different our hope will look like if we hope in God and knowing that he's working in the times of seemingly silence. God was always at work. 700 years before Jesus Christ came, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, verse 4, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for Him. We're all waiting on something. We need to make sure we're waiting on the right person, the right thing. There's no God like our God. There's certainly no Savior like our Savior. And the well-known verse that prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verse 31, which as a West Coast Eagles fan becomes a great verse for me. It says, Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. It doesn't say dockers. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And you think about that, and it begins with waiting for the Lord. But remember, we started with, I hate waiting. And you do too. But let's not waste the times of waiting. And just like Joseph and Mary waiting for the Messiah to come. Just like a man named Simeon, which we'll look at in a few moments' time. In fact, to give you a head start, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter number two, we'll be there in just a, just a moment. We have the hope that God is always at work in the world around us. We need to embrace the wait so that we can discover the hope and the peace and the love and the joy that we have in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Our principle again is God is working while I am waiting. 
A dictionary definition of the word hope is a feeling of expectation, a desire for a particular thing to happen. That feeling of expectation, like anticipation, is actually an exciting place to be in in the short term. Waiting for the Christmas presents to open is an exciting time. But if they sat there year after year after year unopened, the expectation and the anticipation begins to wane over time. And that's why we're challenging you to see the wonder of hope and the wonder of Christmas with fresh eyes. Hope is a person And that person is Jesus Christ. We want to see Jesus Christ with fresh eyes. In Luke chapter number 2, it records Jesus' birth and the announcement of his birth and the celebration of the angels. And then it transitions and Mary and Joseph take Jesus into the temple. And they take him into the temple, which was the ceremonial time uh, of sacrifice and really thanking God for the child that was born and giving God, putting God first in their life and that child's life. And there was a man there. And it's kind of a funny little account. There was a man there named Simeon. The Bible doesn't give us an indication of his age. He may have been a young man, but, he, but we have, always have a, a mindset that he's an old man because it talks about him waiting his whole life for the Messiah to come. And he had had an understanding from God that he was going to live long enough to see the Messiah born. So imagine the anticipation, going to the temple every day, waiting. Is today the day? Is today the day I'm going to meet the Messiah? And as as he's there, it says in Luke chapter number 2, verses 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, that is, the Messiah to come, the fulfillment of Israel to come. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Go down to verse number 28. After he saw Jesus, he took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for the glory of your people, Israel. Hope is a person. That this man, Simeon, his salvation was in a child that was going to grow up to be the Savior of the world, who's going to die a cruel death on a cross. Hope is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Now I have some three application points. First of all, hope is for today. God has sent Jesus Christ, and you can experience hope for today. That verse we've read a couple of times already in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, as the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The God with us is not just God was with us 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came to earth. Now we get to experience God with us because when we are saved from our sins, God comes and lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God is with you now. But also, God isn't absent in our world. 
He's actively working in our world and the world around us. This was not a one-time event that 2,000 years ago, God was with us, and now someday God will be with us again. Every moment of every day, you get to experience Emmanuel. This is a beautiful position to be in. So your hope is not looked upon just the past or just the future. Your hope is for right here and right now. Just like you eat every single day. And you may skip a meal or two, maybe three, but you're starting to rumble after that. In a similar way, I don't want to go without experiencing Emmanuel, God with us for a day. I want it to be every moment of every day. So your hope is for today. The second is hope for tomorrow. Hope for tomorrow. You will continue to be redeemed. Titus chapter number 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to Titus 2. Titus 2, we'll look at verses 13, and in a moment we'll look at verse number 14. This verse here is a special verse to me, because in a time in my personal life, when I felt like, God, why am I here? I was reading my devotions, and this verse jumped out of the Bible to me, and it felt like, God, you wrote this for me. I needed that verse at that particular time. And it says, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That word waiting for is a compound word from the Greek that literally means toward and to receive. And we're looking toward Jesus Christ to receive. Another way of looking at the word waiting is to look and wait with confidence or waiting with anticipation. We have hope for the future that we will continue to be redeemed. Jesus Christ saved us from our sins today, but we are secure in that relationship as we look forward to tomorrow. This is a great way to be because now we can actually move forward. Now with the uncertainty of our world and the ups and downs of lockdowns and uncertainties and ups and downs of our world, we don't know what the future is going to hold, but we can have hope in the one who does and hope for our tomorrow. We come to a roadblock oftentimes in our hope because we can say, oh God, you can take my tomorrow. Yes, you can. I'll trust you tomorrow. And I'll trust you in the here and now in this very moment because you may be at a time in your life when you're feeling like I'm in the mountaintop experience of my life. I have no problem hoping for you today and tomorrow's wonderful. But then we begin thinking about our yesterday. We can have hope for our yesterday because your failures are not greater than God's power to transform. Your past is your past. And when you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ from your sins, and the Bible says that you've been washed white as snow. Our sinfulness, as the Bible describes, and our goodness is like filthy rags. And therefore, our sinfulness is disgusting to God. And he says, I'm taking that and I have redeemed it. I've bought it back. In Titus 2, We looked at verse 13. This is the next verse, verse 14. Who, that is Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous 
for good works. We are redeemed, we are purified, and we're given purpose for good works. You have a purpose in this life. We must accept the hope in Christ. We must experience the hope of Christ. And as you go out this Christmas season, you may be feeling like you're in the season of wait. And we can all agree we naturally hate the wait. My challenge to you is to not miss out on the workings of God in the times of seeming silence. During this time, we have hope. We can look forward to the future. We can experience the hope today, and we know that we're forgiven of our past, and we no longer have to carry that guilt around any longer. The question is, if God is working while I am waiting, will you accept God's hope this Christmas? Don't leave today the same as you arrived. Going maybe in a positive way, going through the motions, and as you meet people and say, how are you? You always say, I'm great, I'm good, I'm wonderful. But inside you're going, I'm tired of waiting. Let's embrace that wait. Let's not waste the wait. That's a phrase I want you to remember. Don't waste the wait. Enjoy these times of waiting and see how God is working. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? And as I pray, I'm going to invite you to pray silently along with me. But as, you, as I pray and you pray along, I want you to pray and thank God for these times of waiting and begin to continue to commit to the wonder of hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for loving us and caring for us. And even in the times we feel like you are silent, we feel like we are far from you. Lord, we know that you are active in the world. Lord, we know it's a fact and not a feeling that you are active in the world. So, Lord, I pray that you'll bless us with the ability to understand your purposes. Lord, I pray that you'll bless us with the understanding of seeing others the way that you see them, to seeing our circumstances in the big picture rather than the short term. And, Lord, as we seek to not waste the wait, Lord, I pray that you'll change our lives in the way that only you can change and the only way that you can do this to replace our fear with hope in Jesus Christ. And in your name, amen.